Hello, fellow movie lovers, and welcome to Cult Fiction, a podcast where we examine Hollywood's redheaded stepchildren. As a redheaded stepchild, my own self, I'm Stephanie Johnson. And I'm Andy Boyle, and today we are pulling back Hollywood's crypt to review for a good time call. One eight seven seven. Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 yes. Rachel, it's Shmokayim again. <laughs> Pick up the phone. Yeah, aka, it's really funny. This movie came out five years before OnlyFans. Yeah, because otherwise it would not have been able to be made. No, no, not at all. But we'll talk more about that later. Um, yeah, so this is a a twenty twelve sex comedy that like i don't think hardly anybody heard of i never heard of it before Mm -hmm. we pulled it you owned it somehow i owned it because it was sold in a tiny video shop there is actually a video shop in my town Um, It has since closed down. Our town. You live here now. It has since closed down and it's now a used furniture place, which I feel like infinitely has less soul. But yeah, I was like, oh, this looks cute. Sure. Looks at cover, decides, is my type movie. And to be fair, I am this movie's like target audience. Say more on that. Okay. I am a well-educated woman who grew up in the like late 1990s early 2000s hit teenhood right at the peak of like rom-com goodness Mm -hmm. and this harks so well to that and there's a lot of like beat for beat these are the marks that you hit as a good rom-com it's just really inverted because ultimately this movie isn't necessarily a romantic comedy. No, it's a sex comedy. This is closer in my mind to your American Pies, your Hot Tub Time Machines, your Bridesmaids, which came out a year before. Yes, actually. With all those except for Bridesmaids, it's, it's gender swapping the point of view character well and i think it's really well done because this movie has a lot to say about female friendship yeah and we finished watching this movie and we both agreed that like it needed one more draft maybe two because the concept of it so good and there are good moments Yeah, absolutely. But before we get into those good moments, in case you were not able to find or you decided not to watch for a good time call, uh, just to catch you up, it is the story of Katie and Lauren, two 20-something bachelorettes living in New York who hate each other at the start of the film but are forced through contrived circumstances to live together and come up with rent for a very expensive New York overlooking Gramercy Park apartment. The way that they decide to do this is by running a uh, in-home business of a sex operation line. So they have people call, they proceed to have phone sex with them, they make money. And throughout the entire time, they are both learning how to become friends with each other, 
and learning how to become more complete individuals themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So, like you said, gender swap this and this is super bad or pineapple express like our characters learn something along the way they are just also having phone sex uh with complete strangers and in one case with someone who ends up being a love interest so there is like a little bit of a romantic subplot but for the main point our focus is on the two women growing a friendship together yeah and it is so interesting because like this this does set itself up as, hey, oh my god, Bridesmaids just came out and you loved it. This is going to be the same thing. But, like, this is a really nice female empowering, like, friendship romance movie mm-hmm. with sex comedy frosting sprinkled on top. Please. And that is very intentional metaphor on my part. I will now go dunk my head under a sink and... I can't get it out of my head that, like... So Bridesmaids comes out in 2011. Sure. And uh, Lauren Rogan, who is one of the writers and co-stars, Lauren Miller Rogan, wife of Seth Rogan, sees that and goes, Wait, you can do one of these and be a woman? Shit! Okay, I gotta get writing this! Hmm... Because, like we talked about, it, it it feels very, come on, come on, come on, we got to capture this moment. We don't have time for a second draft. Yeah. And also, let's have some fun with it. Well, the movie itself was filmed in, like, 16 days. Right. So, and you can kind of tell. There's a few moments where you're like, oh, this feels rushed. And not just in the writing. There are some moments where I think even you said the funniest most followable parts are the montages. Yes, this is a movie for montages because that's super easy setup jokes. You've got somebody very familiar with Apatow-esque comedy and, and Apatow movies lend a lot to montages as well, I feel like. This is a... All of this movie's shining moments, I feel like, are in surprise celebrity cameos that wind up being hilarious and montages because it's easy to write a quick and easy montage. But I I would like to go back for just a second or or kind of play in the space for just a second longer. The last movie at all like this we watched was Super Troopers. And I don't even think that was very much like For a Good Time Call. Uh Uh-huh. That was just the last teen sex stoner, more on the sex in this one, more on the stoner in that one. Mm -hmm. Comedy. And, like, that is a subgenre that I feel like could really only exist in the mid-aughts. Like, this came out in 2012, and I, I think this movie is, like, at the very crashing wave mm-hmm. of that kind of film. But thinking about your American Pies, Sex Drive, Super Troopers, mm-hmm. all your Apatow stuff, mm-hmm. it's interesting to, like realize because i'm trying to think of anything current i'm trying to think of anything current that falls into the same like vibe and i go ahead well there was that movie again with seth rogan where he is dating a senator 
or Secretary of Defense or something. Oh, where, where he's dating Charlize Theron, who's running for president? Yes, correct. And that is very similarly ridiculous. But I will also say, I think this not only falls in that category, but it's like, it's this nice little crossroads between that and the more indie teen comedies of the era, like your Junos. Yeah. And your, well, Napoleon Dynamite, I wouldn't necessarily call it indie, but I wouldn't call it a sex or stoner comedy either. Oh, I'd I'd call it certifiably indie, but I'm not super well versed on the, like, behind the scenes of that. That, That's a movie that feels like it came out of nowhere and was made on a shoestring budget. I mean, it can't be indie because it made so much money. Oh, interesting. That's a conversation for us to have at a later point, because I think indie is a pre-thing, not a post-thing. I feel like it could be a pre-thing, but it's like bands where it's like once you make it big, they're not indie anymore. Oh, okay. Okay. I can see that. So, like, you can't say when, like, when Fall Out Boy originally came out, yes, they were indie, but now they're, like, one of the most well-known bands in the world. And Napoleon Dynamite is the fallout boy in Correct. this analogy. I, I just, that just makes me happy. <laughs> but I, I do mean to say that because I think this movie has a lot of heart. Yeah. Um, and a lot of really lovely, good intentions and good conversations. There's a really interesting conversation in this movie about virginity. Right. That just doesn't really happen in any other movie because one of the characters, uh, Katie, Katie yeah. who originally had worked for a sex line before Lauren gets the idea of starting one of their own, come to find out halfway through the movie that her big secret is that she is a virgin and that she's never had sex. And the movie has a really interesting conversation about there's no shame in being a virgin. But then Lauren has a moment where she is the worst human ever and tells Katie that she's a big fat liar because she was a virgin and didn't tell anyone. And so there's a lot of really like troubling dynamics, but then that get resolved in really sweet ways. Right. Like the one of the core arcs in this movie revolves around the same character Katie's like profound emotional intimacy control issues and like that's not something you expect a sex comedy to be playing with but not only does it explore that space and I think honor it in an effective way but like overcomes it in a very sweet way Tell me what you're wearing, you dirty little slut. Oh, it's a cute dress from Cindy Vincent. Lauren, hey, I thought we were going to take this seriously, right? Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I definitely think um, there are a couple conversations that are had where you can tell the 2012 of it. Yeah. Um, But it's still, yeah, like you said, it handles it in a sweet and heartfelt way that I don't think would necessarily come from a sex or a stoner comedy. And I think this movie is the better for it. Still think it should have had a 
another draft of a script. Oh, massively, <laughs> massively needed another draft and needed somebody kind of like reining in some of the directorial choices of the film. Like? Like casting Justin Long as the, to quote Patton Oswalt, gay best friend. And for the first 20 minutes, it's like his personality is gay and meddling. And I'm like, oh, that's not a good look. Well, no, see, I, I actually, the one thing I will give this movie is it takes 20 minutes to like provide evidence in the script that the character is gay. Mm, okay. Because when you fir- when he first calls Katie, is he Katie's boyfriend? Is he Katie's just best friend who's never been involved? And they like they make a point of not really addressing it. Well, Justin Long acts kind of like not caricaturely mm. gay, but but a little effeminate, a little metro. And then finally, at one point, like, he's got a line about, like, having, he's not my boyfriend, but he's coming over, so leave. He's got a line like that, and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, no, Justin Long's character is gay. Well, and I don't know what it says about me or my experiences of movies that I'm just like, oh, well, he's a man talking on a phone to a woman that he's not in a relationship with. He's her gay best friend. (laughs) I don't know what that says either. I think it's just more like that's the trope that movies set up of like, oh, well, straight men don't talk on the phone to their straight female friends. Well, right. And I mean, literally, like, the the timeline lines up where Patton Oswalt's got a bit where he was offered to be in a movie as the gay best friend. And it might have been this movie, for all I know. I got to look up when that comedy special came out now. But, like, this was... A trope. So mm-hmm. you, you've, you've, you're right to totally call it out for what it is there. And like Justin Long, good actor. I enjoy Justin's Long, Justin Long's work. He's He was in a couple of those Rogan Apatow comedies. So like I can see why they thought of him for doing this. He's clearly having the time of his life. And... As far as I know, Justin Long is not queer in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, sexuality is a spectrum. Yeah. I will say the um, evidence for me that this needed a, another chunk of screenwriting. Um, I will say the, the further evidence for me that this needed another pass around the writer's room was the entire arc about the woman they hire to work for them who then says everyone who calls is going to hell and she tanks their business but then it doesn't tank and that plot goes nowhere right that is that is more of the like it's a sex comedy frosting because this woman comes in this third character to work in the sex phone operation business and like hits it off well, but there's clearly something weird, clearly a little too exuberant. And we were both sitting there being like, oh, this is gonna pull an animal house. Oh, she's gonna be a kid. And then I was sitting there when she's actually on the calls with the guys being like, oh no, she's gonna turn into like a dominatrix over the phone. 
But in reality, they just pull out the like, no, I tricked you. I'm a Christian. All these people are going to hell and so are you. And I'm saving their souls. Ah! Runs out of the movie. Never to be seen or heard from again. Never, never to be dealt with. And it has no impact on the rest of the movie at all. Sure. I I completely see what you're talking about there. Yeah. I mean, and, and like I said, the funniest part of this film, I think, is the montages and the let's get random famous comedians of the time to play parts and like be Johns and film their O faces and, Oh, it won't that be funny. And it is. Um, But like, there are so many small details in the film. Like you start off with Lauren being businesswoman, business, business, business. I planned my life. She gets reverse legally blonde where her boyfriend is like, no, you're too stable. I'm pretty sure I'm going to marry you, but I'm going to go fuck off to Italy and like have a tryst and make sure. And her growth is good. You've got uh, Katie who like they randomly throw out. She works in a Korean nail salon and is entirely fluent which, to your point about writing, is something that, like, might have ever mattered again mm-hmm. in a movie that had a few more drafts. But in this time, it was just like, no, isn't it funny that this white blonde chick is, like, fluent in Korean? Ha! And then it's just a throwaway bit. And so it's like, okay. But then it's also problematic because she works in a nail salon um and then she also works i think at a chinese place and it's yes kind of made a thing that she like only works for asian businesses i didn't i i don't think i caught that in the in the viewing but it's hearing you say really it back, weird. yeah it's absolutely a thing that they include in there i didn't i didn't like that part sure no now i get that <laughs> Um, the other part I didn't like is so Lauren is business, business, woman, business. And like Lauren's whole arc is learning how to like be a fully fledged, I do things I like for me woman. And the pivot is they, the, the third woman they hire is like proves to be unreliable. And they're like, oh my God, we need a second sex line operator. What are we going to do? And after repeatedly saying that she would not do this, Lauren is like, I want it. I want to do it. I'm going to do it and it's going to be amazing and I'm going to be awakened as a person. Well, the thing is, so she, the person, the third person they hire, the Jesus freak to use a better term, uh, then, you know, runs out, leaves, and they're still on a call. Right. So Lauren picks up the phone and the person on the other end orgasms. And we were talking about this moment after the movie because she doesn't say anything. She doesn't say, oh, my God, it was so powerful and it transformed me and I changed my mind and I want to do this. All she says is, I picked up the phone and he came. I want to do this now. Right. And it's like. Uh, okay. And it comes across as, like, remarkably unearned. Yeah. Like, remarkably, we needed to get this 
plot going and we just didn't choose to think of a different way to do it unearned and now she's a, now she gets a pink phone and she's a sex phone sex line operator right and real quick the uh, the character Chrissy who we keep referring to as the third woman mm-hmm. that actress's name is Sugar Lynn Beard. Which is one of the most remarkable names I've ever seen on IMDb. <laughs> um, that's very exciting. <laughs> it's almost like she was made for this role. Right. Speaking of other um, actresses we see in this film, we also see Nia Vardalos, who um, everyone knows as the protagonist from My Big Fat Greek Wedding. So it's like it's very aware that it's a rom-com and it's self-referential. And she's the sassy businesswoman who only does business that Lauren is trying to impress at a publishing firm. Right. Because that's what you do in movies when you don't own a cupcake bakery and or you aren't a nanny or a wedding planner. You go into publishing. Want to work out anything there? Knowing, what? Knowing, knowing your direct career <laughs> background... Oh, my, my failed uh, career in publishing that hit the dust and kept running. I wouldn't call it fail. If anything, it failed you. Uh, sh- sure. Yeah. Sure. Yes. <laughs> Let me go be a wedding planner who also makes her own cupcakes. I get a dollar a minute for a phone sex line. Whatever they say, I just tell them I want to lick it. Okay, ew. There you go. That's Perfect. my next career step. Okay. I will support this. Um, it's so funny you bring up Nia Vardalos because, yes, if you've ever seen My Big Fat Greek Wedding, you totally recognize her immediately. If you haven't, like we've talked about before this recording, so the fact that you're looking at me like, what? Is very funny to me. No, it's just more, I have to, okay, so... This movie plays with gender in a very fun way, in the sense that, like, I also was the one who went, oh, that's Kevin Smith. And you were like, what? Sure. And it's Kevin Smith, god of all men, Kevin Smith. (laughs) And so, like, that I'm like, oh, yeah, it's Neo Vidalis that everyone recognizes from my big fat Greek wedding. And you're like, I've never seen that. And I'm like, but I'm expected to know your people. Well, I don't expect you to know any of my people. I'm just excited <laughs> to then, like, tell you who they are afterwards. No, it's so funny because, like, this movie definitely has some really good cameos that are, like, making some nods to the love of filmmaking. Yes, absolutely. And and nods to the love of the specific low-budget sex comedy genre we're playing in. You know, I mentioned that one of the writers and the star of the film is Lauren Miller Rogan, who I didn't know. I didn't know Seth Rogan was married until we saw this, but he is. And his wife is Lauren in the film. And so that makes his cameo in the film as a airline pilot who calls a sex line oh about five minutes before he's supposed to take off on in a plane really great he has to relieve some tension 
he has to relieve some tension. It's the only way that uh, that plane is going to get up and get off the way that it needs to. Get off the runway. Boo! <laughs> I, I earned that and I will own it. Um, that moment, though, it's a weirdly effectively sensual moment. Because mm. Seth Rogen calls the sex line business and he's like, I want to talk to two of you at the same time. And throughout the entire movie, Katie and Lauren are, like, finally just starting to, like, be friends and be okay. Mm -hmm. And now they have to do this intimate thing together. And it's, it's awkward and it's silly with the whole bit of, like, I'm Kitty. I'm Caddy. <laughs> Kitty and Caddy? <laughs> And he's like, all right, that's going to be confusing, but I'll go with it. Right. Um, but, like, they have this, like, weirdly sensual three-way phone sex conversation that gets so sensual that they wind up ruining it for him. And he's like, well, I, I'm i going to fucking go now. I'm just going to go. See you later. Bye. I'm just going to go fly a plane. I do like there's one really good moment where um, Seth Rogen asks one of the women, well, what does her underwear look like or whatever, asks, asks one of them to describe it. And so I think it's Lauren shows hers and Katie goes, oh, cute, which is just like so human and so realistic. And so genuine in a moment where... You're not looking for genuine. Yeah. Because I think even he he hears that and he's like, uh, okay, great. Yeah, what, what fucking color is it? <laughs> Speaking of swearing, uh, we chose, we had a choice and we chose to watch the unrated version. Is it just me or did the unrated version feel really clean? Well, I mean, paired to like some films, it, it totally was. Like I, I mentioned it before, there's this, Honestly, pretty god-awful sex comedy called Sex Drive that came out while I was in high school. And they made a whole point of, like, when you go on the DVD and you click on the unrated version, the screen cuts to one of the actors standing face-to-face -to, -face to a, uh, a naked man's penis. A naked man's giant penis is, like... This is what's in the unrated version, all right. And so for that to be like what some unrated versions do. And for this one, I actually had to look it up. And it's like um, a couple of the more raunchier jokes. Mm. Um, there's uh, honestly, we can address this in a second. Um, this movie does have this kind of weird touch point on sexual assault humor. Mm -hmm. And a couple of the sexual assault jokes are what they saved for the unrated version. Interesting. Um, as, as well as like a couple of like just there's two extra minutes of film, which doesn't feel like a lot. But it's like, oh, yeah, we added five more seconds to this montage and we added somebody talking about like how wet her pussy is here. And we, we added five seconds of Ken Marino orgasming because we thought it was funnier here. 
and yeah, it is. It is just kind of like the, the sum of these parts is like this is a pretty tame, unrated movie. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a bare breast, which no. I mean, you know what? For a for a anti misogyny sexual championing point of view, good for this movie. Well, and they work in a sex line, so one of the montages is them just like jumping around their bed or like changing positions or like one of them being like, oh, pass me the, 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 the. like they're standing in the kitchen gesturing like roommates do. And it's just really, uh, for a sex comedy, quote unquote, it's pretty sexless. Which is why, like, I really think that this was a rom-com that they threw sex comedy elements at to try and like, get a few extra bucks from people who were like, oh, it'll be like Bridesmaids. They frosted it. Yes. Yes, they did. And that's where I'm going to stop. I'm not going to make the gross metaphor that you're making. <laughs> uh, speaking of gross, do what, what can we even say? Because this movie has multiple jokes about sexual assault. And like the... The, the whole big thing is when Katie and Lauren see each other for the first time, Justin Long is like, oh, you need a roommate. Oh, you need a place to live. I have a solution. They see each other and they hate each other on sight. And we find out they hate each other on sight because five years ago at a drunken party, Katie threw a bottle of her own piss in Lauren's face on accident. And then Lauren left Katie in a bad part of town. And they make a joke in the movie where, like, Katie is like, yeah, some bad stuff could have happened to me. And Lauren's like, oh, my God, did bad stuff happen to you? And Katie's like, no, but bad stuff could have happened to me. <laughs> I mean, that's just truth. <laughs> I I mean, I see your point that the, that the argument and the the fact that it's a fun that it's made into a joke is definitely maybe not in good taste but like that's a conversation i've totally had with people before like oh no nothing happened but i'm really glad i got home when i did Hmm. yeah fair enough i mean my biggest take was like i don't know what to say about this Mm -hmm. it's written by two women and like i'm aware enough to know that like this wasn't written asking for my take or perspective <laughs> on it. You mean they didn't mail it to your house in a big, important manila envelope and say, Andy Boel, we, we need to know. We need you to vet this on, on behalf of cis white men who never have to deal with, I shouldn't say never, who, who don't have to deal with nearly as much sexual assault stigma as like women do. Oh my god, are you the cis white dude that people go to for your opinion? I wish. I'd probably be making good money. (laughs) There's a man in Hollywood who does that. (laughs) They pay me in croutons and mac and cheese. I'd say it's probably Seth Rogen, but I know for a fact he's Wiz Khalifa's professional uh, blunt roller, so... Wait, what? Oh, that's a thing that Seth Rogen, like applied and made like a video of how good he rolls blunts and like Wiz Khalifa I think it was only for like a tour or something was like 
Oh, fuck yeah. Seth Rogen's going to be my blunt guy. (laughs) Yeah, I can see why he and one of the writers of this movie are married. I feel like they have very, very similar sense of comedy. Oh, for sure. I'm Kitty. I'm I'm here with my friend. I'm Caddy. Hello, Kitty and Caddy. That's, uh, guarantee you that's going to confuse me once I start um are there any other points we want to make i need to make a point actually please do because this is currently looking like it's going to be the shortest episode of cult fiction ever i have never and will never pee in front of a roommate ever interesting never in my i don't pee in front of my relatives like, you know how, like, sometimes family members will, like, pee with the door open and yeah. they're like, just keep talking to me. Uh, no, I have never and will never. So the scene where uh, Katie's doing her makeup and Lauren comes in and she's like, I just have to use the bathroom. And Katie's like, okay. I'm going to be like a bitch and not leave the bathroom. We don't like each other. We're roommates. And so Lauren just like discreetly squats and like pees a little. And I'm just like, you know, that's not something I do in front of my roommates. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. I was going to ask at what point, what is the threshold? But what you're sitting here saying is that there is no threshold. I don't pee in front of Alex. I'm pretty sure that when I do, our marriage is over. Like I'll mail him my ring and be like, we're done. Interesting. I just don't. It's like a super private thing. No, I mean, and that's fair enough. <laughs> Far be it for me to like say that you need to do anything different. I just feel this is the movie where it's important to talk about the tough issues. Like, you know, who you will and won't pee in front of. Oh, yeah. No, this is perfectly the movie to get like involved with that. I don't know. What's your role for who you will and won't pee in front of? We would have to be living together for like at least four or five months and this person would have to volunteer consent at the notion like it would have to be like five months shared bathroom we both have jobs that involve getting up early in the morning and this person is like listen i don't care it's fine and even then i would probably like pee in the shower or something I don't like that I took us down this path and I am quickly regretting it. Fair enough. I will give us a a deep left turn. Um, Does this movie miss an opportunity to dive into sapphic romance? So I thought so for the first probably... Because it's a tight 90. Oh yeah, very tight 90. Um, I thought so for the first 45 minutes, because there are definitely some illusions, like the threesome scene we had just talked about. Um, There's also a scene where Lauren uh, is meeting Katie's reoccurring Wednesday call when they finally decide to meet in the real world, and she's incredibly protective. Right. And I thought, oh, this... Oh, it's gay. Oh, yay, it's gay. Yes. Yes, let's be gay. Oh, how exciting. And then um, it didn't do that. And it, you know, made a really lovely point about female friendship instead. Fair. And and I think that deserves to be in a separate breath, obviously. Yes. And it could have been cleaner. 
Sure, as most things in this movie. I will say that that person who is like one of the two main romantic male leads in the film is a total non-character. Yeah. Besides no. being the one good film student bro in like New York. <laughs> Because they make a huge deal about how, like, oh yeah, he's a film student. He's got a he's got a documentary. Okay, great. And he's the one like non-stereotypical douchebag asshole film student ever put in cinema. Oh my god, he's dude Mary Sue. Yeah? Yeah. He's okay, he is the good guy. He is sweet and smart and kind of sexy and kind of funny and considerate and really, really kind to Katie. Cause Katie is a little bit unhinged when they finally do have sex. Right. And he just rolls with the punches. He's like, I am here. I love you. However, this is going to happen is how it's going to happen. We're cool. Which is a lot for like, Granted, they've been talking to each other every Wednesday for, like, a couple years. But, like, in the comparative depth of their relationship, like, he is, like, all in immediately. You're right. He is absolutely plot device level Mary Sue man. Mo Sue? Mo. Morris. 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 Sue. I mean, you can have a boy named Sue. <laughs> Listeners, the pure disappointment on 70's face is amazing. I quit! <laughs> you can't quit. We haven't done the Oscars yet. Okay. Well, let's do them so I can quit. Okay. Um, yeah, in every episode of Cult Fiction, we, we, we believe that every film deserves to have Oscars attributed to it. Even... Something like this that I think probably not a lot of people have heard of and not a lot of people are going to hear of. Um, and so without any further ado, what is your Oscar for for A Good Time Call? My Oscar is best reference to a real-life commercial. Sure. Because um, the women of the movie, the two leads, make a sex phone commercial sex phone line commercial where they're in the bathtub and they're like hi are you bored are you lonely call us at da 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 and the words that they're saying are almost word for word a famous commercial from the 90s the setting is a little bit different because it's women standing against a fence for some reason oh, there was a fence but the concept of are you lonely Call us. Pick up the phone. The script is almost exactly the same. Sure. I I, I think that is an above and beyond nod. Yeah. To the uh, to the craft, to the profession. <laughs> um, given everything else about this movie, so that, I think that's a great Oscar. It really does blow my mind. Like, okay, tangent. But if this was not a female-driven one of these comedies, but it would... Like, if a man had written this, they would have been, like, 
cam girls or girls gone wild and it would have been a lot more about like that <laughs> part of it because all that's going on at the same time we talked about how this is like just pre only fans and it only just hit me that like this is like the the tail end of the girls gone wild era and this is like in the weird like video sex line renaissance well, and it's not male gazy because there's no gaze. Right. So the fact that, you know, the fact that it was written by a woman, two women, makes a lot of sense to me because I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course it makes sense that they decide to forego the visual aspect because then there's so much more danger um, and covering you have to do of your identity and of your time. But with a phone line, like the girls are walking around eating yogurt and doing their nails and going to the bathroom, I think at one point. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and it's just like, because of that, it makes a lot more sense to me that if we imagined this as like written by a dude, it would be video cami. Right. And it would have male gaze. Yeah, totally. Um, speaking of the female gaze and speaking of my Oscar, I would like to give for a good time call Oscar for best surprise cameo orgasm. We talked about Seth Rogen. I vaguely mentioned Kevin Marino. The best moment in this movie, I think you'll agree, <laughs> is the Kevin Smith cameo where he calls and is in the front seat of a cab and like does the sex line stuff and gives this really aggressive like fake orgasm o-face delivery and then turns and the camera turns with him to a horrified passenger in the back and he goes welcome to jersey <laughs> which is Disgusting and great. Disgusting in the Kevin Smith way and amazing in only a way Kevin Smith could have done. <laughs> so I, I quite enjoyed that part of it. Mm -hmm. You know what else we enjoy? Kevin Bacon. We always enjoy Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Yeah. We We very much enjoy Kevin Bacon, and I enjoy when a bacon can be done in a single bound. And I will let you have the honors. Perfect. I didn't write down the movie. This can be done in one, um, and the single bacon that this can be done is Justin Long was in Beyond All Boundaries with Kevin Bacon. Uh, <laughs> a war movie I've heard of like once. <laughs> okay. Damn it. Not a lot of war movies in the bacon though, and and even fewer war movies in the in the crypt list. Well, shall we find out what we have next? I think let's go ahead and do that. Every episode of Cult Fiction, we turn to the Hollywood crypt to help us find the next film through the application of a random number generator, we have 284 films of every type, genre, and era. And on the next episode of Cult Fiction, we are going to be watching 
Number 260. Number 260 is a goddamn classic. Oh, God. Uh, Number 260 is The Princess Bride. Oh? I don't think that's cult. It's on the list. Far too much money. (laughs) Well, that's all for this edition of Cult Fiction. But you can keep up if you follow us on Twitter at Cult Fiction Cast. You can also rate, review, and listen on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll close the crypt for now. But join us next time as we develop the immunity to lidocaine poisoning. Search for a six-fingered man. Ask if anybody wants a peanut. Uh, question the existence of giant rodent, fire-breathing rodents of unusual size. They don't exist. They don't exist. <laughs> as we take in Rob Reiner's debatably not cult classic, The Princess Bride. For Stephanie Johnson, I've been Andy Bowell.